Good afternoon. Thank you for joining me again. Julian Campbell here, and we've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. As usual, a bit later in our program, we'll have our minute on innovation with Christina Sikiotis. We're going to talk about how we keep innovation going. Also talking with Brett Gleeson from the Business Growth Centre about the role of a joint venture. But right now, we're going to have our regular chat with Dave Sheeran from WorkCover. Good afternoon, Dave. Good afternoon, Julian, and a very good afternoon to all of your listeners. And so do you think that song was appropriate for WorkCover? Uh, I'm a heartache when I see one. <laughs> I, 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 sorry, I can't ask you to comment on that. Can I? <laughs> um, we, we started talking last month about the uh, work health and safety legislation, and we were going to talk this week about consultation. W- what does we meant by the term consultation? Julian, when we look at the term consultation, we believe it to be uh, meaningful and um, effective consultation which involves drawing on the knowledge, experience and the ideas of the workers and also encouraging their participation um, and input to improve the systems of the person conducting the business or undertaking um, in regard to their ma- uh, management of work health safety. So we'd look at it in that perspective. So we've got all these new terms we started talking about last month, the person conducting a business or undertaking, PCBU, and of course the workers is now replaced employees. But obviously a PCBU has a duty to consult a work- worker? Very much so, and having difficulty getting that PCB out to us. It is hard, isn't it? It is. The change in the terminology does um, have an impact on us for a little while. I I still sometimes say OHS when I mean WHS. But, yeah, look, mate, absolutely, uh, the PCBU does have a duty under the legislation, and um, that duty for consultation requires the PCBU um, that they they share relevant information um, about um, WHS matters with the workers, um, that they give the workers um, a reasonable opportunity to express their views and also to raise uh, work health safety matters um, in relation to the workplace and to contribute to the decision-making process relating to that matter. Uh, further, um, the PCBU must take into consideration the views of those workers um, prior to making those decisions in regard to the matter and that the workers are consulted and advised of the outcome of the uh, their consultation in a timely manner. So they've got four elements or key elements under the legislation. And, and in addition, being under the legislation, there was obviously benefits for consulting your workers. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Look, if, if we have a, uh open communication process with our workers um, underpinned by uh, a consultative measure, then that can lead to things like improved management decision-making processes, and that's because the workers are involved. And the workers are the eyes and ears. They see these sorts of things on the shop floor or within the workplace. Um, It can lead to a greater commitment on work health safety through a better understanding of why the decisions are made. And if the workers are involved, it gives them a sense of ownership um, of the outcome of the consultation. The other thing, too, I think is important, it, it creates, as I sort of alluded to a moment ago, a greater openness and, and respect, respect and trust, actually, between the management of the workers um, through, through identifying or, or, you know, at least understanding each other's point of view. And, mm. you know, that has a flow-on effect to uh, things like morale and, and, and in, uh, enhanced job satisfaction and productivity. Mm. So, so under the uh, WHS legislation, are there consult- consultation arrangements or mechanisms that have to be put in place? There are. There are three mechanisms that the legislation calls for, and this enables a a PCBU and their workers to consult over what option they want to introduce into the business. Um, 
the first option is, of course, what we call a HSR or a health and safety representative. And there, that person would be elected by what we call a particular work group. So let's say, for instance, I had a, um, a factory of some description and I had an administration section and I had a, a manufacturing section and I had a, a sales or transport section. Well, in essence, I would probably have three or four different work groups because they, they, they are exposed to different workplace healthy, health and safety hazards. Mm. Um, so they, the HSR would represent a particular work group that shared the same work health safety concerns. Um, the other thing is uh, that they could have is a health and safety committee um, and they, their role would primarily be to um, review the policies and procedures that exist in the workplace or, uh, and when we look at smaller businesses, um, what we call other agreed arrangements. Now, that could be things like regular meetings um, and if that's the case, have an agenda for those and document the outcomes of those meetings. Very, very important. So you've got a health and safety rep, health and safety committee, or other agreed arrangements, such as, I mentioned, um, regular meetings. Now, under the uh, new legislation, I've, I've heard that the health and safety rep has got new powers. What are they? The health and safety rep certainly does. Now, they have their existing powers, I think, to represent the worker, monitor the measures of the PCBU, investigate complaints, um, uh, things like inspect the workplace. Um, they can also accompany an inspector during an, in, an inspection or um, at, at, at that particular workplace. But the two new powers that they have, and they can only obtain these powers if they undertake the training, of course, are the issuing of what we call PINs, Provisional Improvement Notices, and the ability to direct unsafe work to cease. Now, PINs are if there's a work health safety matter that uh, requires some attention, and uh, if it can't be uh, resolved between the PCBU and the HSR, the HSR can then issue a provisional improvement notice, which means that the PCBU must comply with that notice. Um, in, if, in essence, the PCBU disagrees with that, they can certainly contact WorkCover to mediate an outcome there. Mm. The other thing is, is they have the ability to direct, to direct unsafe work to cease. Now, in both those issues, we, we expect that the HSR will consult with the PCBU, unless, of course... The, w, the work health safety matter um, presents an imminent or immediate risk to the worker. Mm. Therefore, if that was the case, they'd be able to act without consultation. So does the, who, who elects the H, uh, HSR, the uh, employer or the, or the team? No, it'll be the workers at that mm. workplace. Mm -hmm. um, it certainly won't be the PCBU. So what will happen is there'll be a, um, a process where someone says, look, we would like a HSR to represent this particular work group. We would identify who that work group is. An election process would be held. Mm -hmm. If there's only one nomination, clearly there won't be an election process. But sure. if there's several nominations, then it may go to an election and, and uh, may the best person win, of course. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, obviously with those new powers, uh, the uh, PCBU would want to know uh, who this person's going to be, wouldn't they? Well, I think there, there are provisions also in the legislation that um, would provide comfort, I suspect, from what you're um, alluding to, uh, to the PCBU, that, that it, it is a, um, an offence under the legislation if the HSR was to use those powers um, in a manner uh, that mm. was not in accordance with the legislation. So yeah. if they were to go out and just start writing pins and directing unsafe work to cease and it couldn't be validated, mm. then in essence um, that HSR actually could be... Um, uh, remove, remove from that position. Hmm. So, will work cover be providing information on this new uh, legislation? My word, we will be. And in essence, what we do have now, 
we, our website has a, um, uh, a page there for work health safety legislation, so I'd encourage the listeners to have a look at that. We're also running a number of webinars. Now, you can actually view the pre-recorded webinars um, on our website. Uh, you just need, obviously, to log in. And um, the other thing is, if you're a regular su- subscriber to eNews, um, you'll get some updates there. And look, at the end of the day, if you can't find what you're looking for during those three um, mechanisms, call our friendly staff on 131050 and they'll be more than happy to provide you with advice and information. Mm, excellent. Now, I heard also that uh, the $500 allowance we've talked about in the past, uh, if you uh, subscribe to the webinar, that's uh, con- considered uh, attending a workshop. That certainly is. Yeah. That certainly is because it's about engaging mm. and keeping people informed and building their capability, especially small business. So if you do engage with us, then, you know, as long as you meet with the criteria which we've discussed sure, on course. the program before, yes. um, less than 20 equivalent full-time workers, in essence, you can utilise the $500 rebate to implement a safety solution. And, look, it's a great outcome for the small business. Great. Well, thanks for your time again, Dave. We'll have another chat with you next month. You're more than welcome. And uh, yourself and your listeners... Wish you a safe and happy day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Dave Sheeran there from WorkCover, helping us to understand that consultation process. Time to pop over and have a chat with Brett Gleeson. Good afternoon, Brett. Hi, Julian. How are you today? Uh, not too bad. A bit rushed, but... Uh, a bit rushed? Happening at present, so yeah, yeah. Okay. We're talking about joint ventures, which seem to be more and more popular these days. What is a joint venture? Well, it's simply a, uh, a cooperative arrangement between um, two or more parties. Uh, they could be two businesses, they could be two not-for-profits or a combination thereof. Uh, and they basically join forces to um, uh, tender for a project or deliver a project or, or create a project of their own that they want to, uh, that they think is a, you know, a good business opportunity. So it's, um, you know, one might take a lead role and another might be supportive or they could actually be all equal partners. In it. So there's a, there's plenty of combinations as to how it might work. So it's not a legal... Bottom line, it's, it's increased capacity to do something they wouldn't be able to do by themselves. It's not a legal entity in its own right, is it? It's something... No, usually not, no. Yep. no. So, so it's a combination so, of the, the two or three. Yep. So what would yep. be the features of a, of a joint venture? Well, I guess that it, this, uh, it, it actually creates um, increased capacity, so it's something you wouldn't be able to do by yourself. Um, it's it's a, uh, a opportunity to cooperate with uh, and work with another entity, so you've really got to be looking at a uh, very strong relationship uh, being built as the foundation of, of the, uh, the, the joint, uh, joint venture. Things like uh, total openness, honesty, transparency and trust are really important in terms of those uh, developing that relationship. And then, you know, I guess the feature is you get to share the risk as well as the opportunity uh, and the benefits. So obviously if you're going to it for a business, then uh, you would make a profit for it, uh, from it at the end uh, and uh, you would share that profit but you uh, on some uh, predetermined basis. But you also share the risk as well. So... Mm. Uh, and and I guess the other feature is you, you get a chance to actually um, share knowledge and share expertise amongst the partners in the in the uh, in the, the venture. So it's a, uh, yeah quite a positive uh, thing to be in if it's done right. Well, you've, I mean, you've mentioned there a few things which were probably leaning towards advantages uh, the mm. shared. So so what would be some of the advantages and disadvantages of a joint venture? Well, 
often allow you to get into a, a new market or a related market that you're not in at present, uh, and it allow you to share some resources. So one partner might have the technological uh, skill and expertise, but another partner might have a different uh, different component to bring to it. Some will have cash, some won't have cash. Uh, so uh, there's also flexibility in terms of um, how you cooperate in that, in that process. And it's a way of testing uh, whether you want to enter into something without actually going you know, sort of full uh, bore into it. And uh, that, that can make, uh, make it, you know, a difference in terms mm. of... Um, uh, the risk of entering into a new um, a new arrangement, mm. and of course, like a partnership, uh, if the trust and uh, uh, personality styles aren't there, then the whole thing could fall apart. Exactly, and one of the disadvantages could be the culture of the of the partners. If, yeah. they, if they are businesses and they have a different cultural cultural uh, base to their organisations, then sometimes there can be some some issues around you know, how we do things um, in, from the different uh, the different mm. partners and. And I guess that sometimes the you know, the more complexity that it's in there, that can also add to uh, add to the, some of the frustrations. And uh, if you've got a very big organisation and a very small organisation, they have very different ways of approaching things. But right. uh, the, the very important thing is to make sure that there is a cl- clear vision, a clear objective, a clear outcome, and that everyone who's involved knows what they what they are, yeah. uh, and that. Uh, you start with the end in mind and then work backwards and uh, if everyone can pull their weight, which sometimes is a disadvantage that some people, uh, some partners don't always sort of do what they need to do when, mm. they, when they're supposed to do it and that can cause some conflict. So, and I guess another disadvantage, you can sometimes waste, waste time on conflict resolution if yeah. there isn't a proper process involved. But a good, a good joint venture will actually lay this stuff out beforehand okay. so that's all understood. Uh, before they actually move into uh, into the process, and uh, the more you can do that, then uh, then the, generally the smoother it will be. And it's how you handle the, the rough patches mm. is what what will um, hold you in good stead, uh, or at the end of the day, mean that uh, you know it's not um, not going to work. But one of the really nice things about the joint ventures, Julian, really, is that in about eighty percent of cases, uh, the entity itself is is sold off mm. at the end of the project okay. to one to one of the partners. Yeah. Uh, so it it can have a, you know, a shelf life, uh, sure. but it also can go on and be become a business in its own right. right. Yeah. Uh, and often one of the partners will take it on and and create a business from that joint venture. So that's a a pretty positive uh, approach to it. All right. Well, thanks very much for your time. And we won't talk with you next week. We're going to talk with Shannon no, Buckley from New Hunter Business, and we'll catch up with you in a couple of weeks. Great. Excellent. Thank you. Bye bye. Julian. Cheers. Bye. Brett Gleeson there from the Business Growth Centre, helping us to understand uh, a little bit about those joint ventures and how important they are. And uh, Sunday Breakfast with Pete Davis. It's up and about with Saturday Papers and the best way to start your day with easy listening favourites and the morning cheer with Pete Davis from 5.30am to 7am on Saturdays. Well, now it's time for our Minute on Innovation with Christina Sikiotis from the Hunter Tafe. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. Thanks once again for joining us. Well, tell us how you keep innovation going. Oh, you keep it going the same way you keep anything going, with commitment, with structure and with processes. It needs to be important to the organisation. As with everything, it can't be a tokenistic effort. Meetings need to happen that are facilitated. Actions need to be followed through. Um, the idea stage, or ideation, creates an air of excitement, and that's where delegation's important. You need to follow that through. Sometimes your driver may not be your innovator or your action person, but they can be the most important person on the team. 
You keep innovation going by keeping ideas happening, by finding out what's new in the world, by reading a kid's book. Dr Zeus is fantastic for that. By taking a moment to think and breathe. You aim high, you listen to what your team and your colleagues are saying, you play, you encourage debate, it's fantastic. You reward people, you make them feel safe and valued and you have a structure that allows all that to happen in. Um, I think the most important thing is education. I was reading an article this morning that's in the New York Times a couple of days ago, Pass the Books, Hold the Oil by Thomas Friedman. It offers great insight. It's about knowing your people are your greatest natural resource, not what we can dig out of the ground or pull out of a plant. It's about developing habits and culture and people skills. Friedman sums it up beautifully by saying, if you really want to know how a country is going to do in the 21st century, count its highly effective teachers, involved parents and committed students. And for me, that's how you keep innovation going. Well, thanks very much for your time again, Christina. And next week we're going to look at what happens when those challenges come up. That's right. My pleasure, Julian. Have a great week. You too. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina Sikiotis there, helping us our minute on innovation. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you enjoyed the program. We've had a little look at the consultation process with the work cover there and also the role of a joint venture. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to revisit the bullying in the workplace with Greg Kerr from Effective Workplace. We're going to have a chat with uh, Sine Buckley from the New Hunter Business about the new enterprise incentive scheme. And just a point on that, if anyone is interested in the new enterprise incentive scheme, there are a couple of information sessions coming up next week. 19th of March at the Business Growth Centre in 48 Oaksdale Road, Gateshead, 19th of March at 11 o'clock, and the 21st of March at Toronto Library Meeting Room at 11 o'clock. So we're going to have a chat with Shanae Buckley about the new Enterprise Incentive Scheme next week and, of course, another minute on innovation. I'd love your company again at the same time for business, the law and you. Until then, have a safe and prosperous week and, as Thomas Jefferson once said, great innovations should not be forced on slender majorities.